0: We stand in solidarity with the people of Kashmir in their fight to end a decades-long Indian occupation and for their right to self-determination. So much of what our mission is, so much of what we do is really about how can we highlight the voices of artists, of activists? How do we amplify these voices? There's no such thing as people who are voiceless. Nobody is voiceless.
1: and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events.
2: Welcome everyone. How you doing out there in that world? This is always so strange, but I'm very glad to be here. Um, Greetings all, my name is uh, Nate Marshall and today we are here for this incredible, it's really, really incredible event, Poets Stand with Cashmere. and so, I guess first, I want to um, first, I want to just uh, talk a little bit about why we're here today, right? Um, so this is an important event, right? And we have a number of great artists, really from around the world. Um, and this is important first and foremost because the people of Kashmir, like people everywhere, deserve dignity. Freedom and the right to determine their individual and collective futures without the interference of occupation forces. Look, the artists and advocates that you'll see here today have come together because we recognize that the logics of colonization, occupation, and dispossession are interlinked with each other across the world and with all the other logics of human suffering. And so we have a sacred responsibility. To dig down and be in solidarity and community with our siblings in Kashmir and everywhere where injustice rules the day. So, look, you know, I'm an artist, I'm a poet, I'm a writer. I don't have answers, and that's not what I'm sitting here uh, for. And I don't know if any of us have answers, but what we do have as artists is imaginations. And I believe that imagination is one of the primary components in building a new world, right? I often think about the quote from the poet Martina Spada, who says, if the abolition of slave manacles began as a vision of hands without manacles, then this is the year, right? And I also often think about um, the artist, uh, Tony Kade Bambara, who talks about uh, being a culture worker and says, as a culture worker who belongs to an oppressed people, my job is to make revolution irresistible. And so that's what we're here to do. We're here to make some things irresistible and just have a good time and uh, share some really wonderful art with some really uh, awesome artists. Um so I'm excited to be here with you all and excited to host this event. Um, so I want to introduce our first artist. We have like a very crazy, just a like a, a really outstanding lineup, uh, but uh, our first artist is, jamila woods uh my sister uh one of my best friends um but that's not why she's important for us here today uh she is award-winning uh you may have seen her on all manner of a uh, television show um she's the editor of um black girl magic a wonderful anthology um And I'm really, really excited to bring her to this digital stage. So please give all your love, all your energy through this strange medium that we find ourselves in to Jamila Woods.
3: Thank you. Thank you for that, Nate. Um, I'm really excited to be here today and grateful to Stand with Kashmir and Haymarket and dissenters for organizing this and for Fatih for bringing us together and curating the performers today. Um, I'm just gonna share um, a poem and a song and kind of just flow into each other. Um, but this first poem is called Black Girl Art and it's after Amiri Baraka. Poems are bullshit unless they are eyeglasses. Honey, tea with lemon, hot water bottles on tummies. I want poems my grandma wants to tell the ladies at church about. I want orange potato words soaking in the pot till their skins fall off. Words you burn your tongue on. Words on sale two for one. Words that keep my feet dry. I wanna hold a poem in my fist in the alley, just in case. Oh, you can't talk, Ma. Words to make the body inside my body less invisible. Words to teach my sisters how to brew remedies in their mouths. Words to grow mama's hair back. Words to detangle the kitchen. I won't write poems unless they are an instruction manual, a bus card, warm shea butter on elbows, a finger massage to the scalp, a broomstick, sometimes used for cleaning and sometimes to soar. Thank you. And... Thank you. This next, um, song is called black girl soldier. Um, and I wrote this song, um, inspired or after, um, in Chicago, there was a, a 29 year old woman named Rikia R- R- Boyd, who was uh, murdered by an off-duty police officer, and um, this song was written in honor of her and in honor of the Black women organizers and activists in Chicago who were organizing um, in response to her death. See, she's telepathic, call it Black girl magic. Yeah, she scares the government Deja vu a Tubman We go missing by the hundreds Ain't nobody checking for us Ain't nobody checking for us The camera loves us, Oscar doesn't Ain't nobody checking for us They want us in the kitchen Kill our signs with lynchings We get loud about it Oh, now we're the bitches. Look at what they did to my sister last century, last week. They put a body in a jar, and forget her They love how it repeats Look at what they did to my sister Last century, last week They make her hate her own skin, treat her like a sin Oh, why, why? But what they don't understand See, what they don't understand is, see what they don't understand, yeah, what they don't understand is she's telepathic, call it black girl magic, yeah, she scares the government, deja vu, a man. and she, 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 she don't give fuck, yeah, 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 she don't give fuck. She da da, da, da da don't give up. na 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 nah, she don't give up, up. Rosa was a freedom fighter and she taught us how to fight. Ella was a freedom fighter, she taught us how to fight. Audrey was a freedom fighter, she taught us how to fight. Angela is a freedom fighter and she taught us how to fight. So Sojourner was a freedom fighter. She taught us how to fight. Asata is a freedom fighter. She taught us how to fight. And she, 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 she don't give up. She da-da-da-da-da-da, da da, da, do not give up. Na-na-na-na-na-na, she don't give up. She da-da-da-da-da-da, don't give up. Uh. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to hear everyone else perform. I'm a clap.
2: I'm a clap. All right. That was... So it's always so outstanding to see Jamila do her thing. Um, again, I told y'all, right? We got a lot of really incredible, incredible artists. This is like just an, an amazing lineup. Um, so next up on the bill, um, we have uh, Amir. Amir, and he is a prolific rapper and producer from Kashmir um, since a young age. This brother has been acutely aware of the violence, the plagues, that valley, and his lyrics reflect that self-critic- a self-critical and self-aware artist who's trying to make sense of these complex issues. Um, I'm really excited to hear this brother. I'm really excited uh, just to to see what he's up to and to, like, just know what hip hop is doing in Kashmir. That's so exciting. So give it Thank up. You. Yeah.
4: Thank you, Nate. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for having me. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a rapper, I'm a musician from Kashmir, and uh, I just talk about the everyday life, the everyday struggle that uh, Kashmiris go through, Kashmiris face, and uh, that's the that's the kind of music I make. I, I'm sort of like a reflection of how this place is and what this place is all about. And I've been making music for past eight years. I've been into production. And Kashmir is uh, the kind of place where you don't have that much scope when it comes to musicians. You Just have to find your ways to, you know, do your thing. You have you have a lot of um, you know trouble in your life. You have a lot of uh, things that are related to the conflict that stop you from doing what you're doing. And when it comes to uh, songs that are about the conflict, uh, about uh, Kashmiri. Pro freedom movement and uh, what 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 Kashmiris want their rights when they demand it through their songs, uh, musicians like me, it's really difficult for us to do that. We don't have events over here where we are going to perform because we are going to get locked up. They are going to put us behind bars straight up, and uh, that's how it is uh, for all the musicians in Kashmir. Um, mostly those who you know talk about Kashmir and uh, who don't hold back, who just uh talk about the reality of what this place is like because there are two sides uh there's the indian side the indian media side and what the india uh, their story is uh, how they portray this place to be and then there is us who live here who are from kashmir and who have seen it ever since we were born so yeah that, that that's what my music is all about i i try to you know, whenever I step out of my place and I go somewhere, whatever, what all I see, I see bunkers, I see, you know, uh, police uh, cars and everything, and that's what I try to write in my songs, and I try to let the people know that uh, how the how the life is over here for a, for a common Kashmiri.
5: I'm a Kashmir. <laughs> us laye china gese hai kashmir dekhi qayamatte dekhi aafat tune tere ek sitopia hai kashmir aankhe karti pe aasitam mein tere kitne salim ke aage na dekhe hai tune ghutne sanjiro mein kya dekh khoob surti dali toppi kashmir surkh samiya lahu se jam gayi hai paper wa pe hayat Take buddy hai dekhi zulalat tune kashmir dekhi bagawat tune kashmir dekhi shahadat tune kashmir allah ho akbar nare takbir qafla ka manzar har insaan and jaan par nafrat lekar mai kyun hai sab zahan jahan ka kehlata hai mahan tu se tere arman to say your tongue down to be honest This is In the light, 1971 Our dignity 74 The purestness is in our heart you Kashmir تو سرفراز اے کشمیر چاند تجھ بے ایک نسار Kashmir کشمیر مخالفت کی مثال اے کشمیر تو چاپنا نہیں آسان اے کشمیر تو Check. One two. <laughs> Put <Purana> hip hop. Kashmir. Kahani suno ke sub sab. Asliyat. To ek din मैं था अपने दोस्तों के साथ लाल चौक चाय पी रहे थे लाला के पास अचानक से हिला गुकान ग्रेनेड की आवाज मेरे दिन की शुरुआत हुई कोलियों के साथ देखा की से सब आगिया आग। आसपास दिख रही बसला शिला दोस्त की गाड़ी झेलम के उस पार अभी भी सब सदमे में जाना जाते उस पार कुछ पता नहीं पकड़ेगे Larke, Janpek Hill, the Kimuji Mocky, but Chaya to Hussey Boy. Look, <laughs> look, 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 So he had to go and have banana. Take out the jet to a आमय वे यू a मेरी पाशा चुपको-को चल के करो सच का खुलासा कि कैसा ये तनासा बेरम का तमाशा zalim खून का प्यासा काटे सुखों की आशा तुम सोचो ये खेल कौन है खेलता हमारे साथ लिबास सफेद पर लाल क्यों है इनके हाथ तुमको बहकाना भटकाना तो है मन की बात ना समझो तुम घबराए ना ये to सीधी बात तो हम के Dekho grenade grenade that was a uh...
2: Man, that was incredible, dang. Damn. Thanks, man. Man, that was
4: fire.
2: Cool. Um <laughs> wow. Man, I'm like very blown away. I'm like trying to get some beats, man. This is dude, <laughs> dope. All right, uh, cool. Uh,
4: cool. Uh, two <laughs> tracks that made. Uh one is called Surfaraz. Uh that means it's an it's an Urdu word. Uh it's it's about like being victorious, dignif- dignity uh, it's like it has a lot of synonyms so uh that uh, so the track is all about hope you know we we go through so much we see um you know uh, a lot of things in our lives uh for a kashmiri uh he has to go through a lot of humiliation uh you know from one bunker to another from one army bunker to another you have to go through a lot of humiliation and you have to you know uh face a lot of uh scrutiny surveillance there are a lot of things you never know who is after you you know you never know if you if you speak against the establishment they're going to there's no form of dissent you know uh, in a place like kashmir so uh, so this track was uh, about you know being hopeful uh, in all this chaos that we we are surrounded with And, um, you know, finding that hope and letting my people know that we are not going to give up and we are going to, you know, uh, we are going to move forward and we are going to do something about this. We are going to, this is going to be about us and this is uh, what the, this is the power of the people. We we are going to speak up against them no matter what they do. So that's what the track was about. The second track uh, is called ID. So basically, it's it's about your identity card uh, that you have to show, uh, you know, every time you step out and you, you are, you're with your friends or you're somewhere with your family, you have to, you know, stop at the bunker every time and they're going to ask you for your ID. The people who don't, you know, who are not from here are going to ask me uh, where my ID is and they're going to check. Whether I'm who I am and what I am all about, so so that's what the track was all about. So that's what I talk uh, about in, in the track. I talk about the humiliation that we go through, and uh, the suspicion. You know, uh, I, for them, I'm I'm just another militant. I'm just another terrorist. So that's what uh, that track was about. It's pretty haunting if you if you check the translations and everything. Uh, you will get to know what the, what the what the song is all about. Yeah.
2: Thank you, thank you so much for that. Man, that, was, that was incredible. Um, cool. So next up, we have a representative from what for one of our co-sponsors for this wonderful event. Um. So we have Alex Ding representing Dissenters. Um, and I'm really excited to hear them talk a little more about Dissenters, but uh, just a quick intro. Dissenters is a youth movement organization dedicated to anti-militarism um, who wants to turn the tide against endless war in our communities and on our communities uh, because they understand that once we stop this, once we stop sort of giving in to the corporate interests uh, that fund these wars and the benefit from them. We have everything we need to take care of folks everywhere from from Kashmir to Chicago and everywhere else.
6: Thank you so much, Nate, for that introduction. Um, As Nate said, my name is Alex, and I'm with Dissenters. Um, We are um, a youth movement based in the so-called U.S., um, fighting to divest from war and policing and invest in what communities actually need um, here and around the world. Um, so the centers is building um, local teams of young people around um, the U.S. Um, led by Black, Indigenous, people of color, young folks to force institutions and elected officials to divest from um, militarism and war. Um, And we work in solidarity with everyday people who are impacted by U.S. wars and militarism. And we stand with the people of Kashmir who are fighting for liberation um, and self-determination against um, a decades long occupation of their lands. And so I just want to take a moment to share my gratitude with Stand with Kashmir um, for convening this event and for all of the amazing artists and organizers who are here today um, doing the important work of resisting militarism and truly building the kind of transnational solidarity that um, we need to build a world where all people have what um, they need to live um, in dignity with freedom and self-determination. Um, I also wanted to take a moment just to frame some of the art pieces that folks might have seen at the beginning of the event. Um, you, should, you should be able to see a couple of the pieces on the screen right now. Um, but for about a year now, Dissenters has been collaborating with Just Seeds, which is this really amazing collective of artists and organizers to create um, a zine and art portfolio that's grounded in really um, envisioning and building a world without um, occupation, cages, war, police, and empire. Um, so it's a really beautiful collection of art. Um, and if folks are interested in seeing more of that art um, and learning more about the centers, I wanted to invite you all to join us at our launch party, um, which is going to be really exciting and um, fun, I hope. Um, called Art Against Empire on May 1st. So we'll be inviting artists, poets, um, political organizers to present and celebrate their work, followed by um, a panel where we'll be discussing the intersecting role of activism um, in art and building um, a demilitarized um, world. Um, and so you can find more information about the event by following dissenters on social media at We Are dissenters' uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, But again, thank you so much for folks for tuning into this event. Thank you so much to stand with Kashmir um, and deep solidarity, appreciation to folks. Um, I really believe that we can build um, a better world and just grateful to folks for being here today.
2: Thank you for that, Alex. Thank you. And we'll make sure to get the, um, the information for that event, for that launch event. Into the chat on YouTube. Um, so people can tune in to that, get in tune for what y'all are doing at the centers, which is really, really critical work, right? Um, so next up, uh, we have uh, really one of my favorite poets. Uh they're a poet, a podcaster, TV writer, um, author of a number of books, including IRL, Nature Poem, and Junk, um, and a bunch of uh, very hilarious tweets. Uh, originally from the viejas indian reservation of the kumaya nation uh but now splitting their time between la and brooklyn um please please give all your love all your digital energy uh to the homie to uh the great literary mind of our time tommy pico
7: hey uh can you hear me yeah, great. Thank you for that, Nate. And thanks all to my fellow artists and performers and Haymarket and uh, Fatih for asking for this. I-, I-, I wanted to like share a poem um, that is kind of about try, how do you, how do you try to be a free person in your own occupation four hundred years after your own occupation and uh, coming at you right now from occupied uh, Tongva Tatavian and Chumash territory A.K.A Los Angeles um, but I'm originally from uh, an area outside of what we now call San Diego um, and this is a poem this poem is called I see the fire that burns inside you. It's one of those magical early summer sherbert skies on a thin blue blanket on a rolling grassy knoll with the breeze off the East River tempering the city heat as the sun begins its dip behind the buildings and all the little office and apartment and department store lights begin to twinkle, a sizzle of foam on the water. I'm listening to this practical science podcast where they talk about the God gene something cellular that makes us look up and beyond and wonder at our creator. And Stephen Hawking talks religion and science, saying they both articulate the nature of who we are, where we come from and why, and that though science produces more consistent results, people will always choose religion because it makes them feel less alone. And the debate turns to whether we're alone in the cosmos. And the guest host says she hopes so, because if not, if we in encounter an alien civilization, they will likely be far more technologically advanced than us. And look, she says, how that worked for the Native Americans. And then I suck my teeth because all we ever are is a metaphor or a cautionary tale or a spirit guide, nothing contemporary, nothing breathing, nothing alive. They just spent the previous half hour discussing other cellular inheritances, saying, for example, that trauma could be passed down, like molecular scar tissue, like DNA cavorting with wars and displacements and your bad dad's bad dad. But what is being indigenous but an understanding of a plurality of time? That I'm here right now in this Riverside Park across the water from the trunk of the city in the golden light of the golden hour. That That sliver of golden light is light unlike any other light you'll ever encounter. Nothing we've ever made can come close to that glow. Not a filter, not a software, not a bulb, but a gathering of circumstances of the atmosphere buffering the dusk light and the angle of the earth at this time, right now, in this moment, on top of this continent, on top of this blue blanket, I'm on top of our sacred mountain. I scout from the peak. I'm dragged to the city, the center of town in chains. I'm old women scattered along the creek. My little hands squeeze my little mouth shut drawn into nooks within the valley like a sharp breath while shaggy men on horseback follow the water, seek brown bodies for target practice, strong brown backs for breaking in the name of the church. Valle de las... One minute I'm on stage and the next I'm in fifth grade, ducking behind the dash after a cousin, high on something, points a gun in my face, and on stage I'm a mess of tremor and sweat. The gift of panic is clarity, my therapist says. Repeat the known quantities. Today is Wednesday. Wednesday is a turkey burger. My throat is full of survivors. It's okay, he clicks his pen, getting ready for his next appointments. Lots of people get stage fright. But that's not what I'm talking about, because what I mean is I've inherited this idea to disappear. In the mid-1800s, California would pay $5 for the head of an Indian and 25 cents per scout, man, woman, or child. And the state was reimbursed by the feds. I am alive, adept at evading an occupying force when contact meant another swath of sick cousins, another cosmology snuffed, another stolen sister, and the water and the, and the blood and the blood and the blood, you panic too, exposed on the stage under the hot lights. And I can't stand in front of the audience in Columbus, Ohio, without wondering how that last person felt leaving the ancestral homeland for the Indian territory, but I'm on the road. And when I'm in their home, I say their names, the Ohlone, Costanoan, Muekma, Duwamish, Suquamish, Muckleshoot, Shawnee, Lenni-Lenape, Tokobaga, Pohoi, Uzita, Lumbi, Piscataway, Nkotchtunk, Motnuma, Anishinaabe, Poka, Ottawa, Potawatomi, and now on this podcast they have a linguist saying that language tells the story of its conquests, its champions, its admixtures while moving onward into new vessels that language is dead when its only speakers are adult. That in a hundred years, 90% of the world's languages will be kaput. He says the most precise word in the world is Mami Lepinatapai from the indigenous Yagan language of Tierra del Fuego, which means something like when you leave a cafe bathroom and you want to tell the next person in line, it wasn't you who took the smelliest dump in American history, but you keep walking. It's like, just kidding. It means something like when two people look at each other and the look is that they both know what the other should do but neither wants to initiate. So they sit in stasis. It's a whole caravan of meaning, of feeling, and a single word, like how in kumyai, in my language, you say chauka for high, but the translation is more like, I see the fire that burns inside you. I see the golden light and the show goes to commercial and I make the mistake of opening my news app in my phone and it's a massacre in Palestine and in Pakistan, the journalists disappeared and in Mogadishu, a bomb explodes in the bustling city center and ice loses thousands of migrant children and drones fly over other countries and the quote unquote president says, he literally says, we tamed the continent. He says, we aren't apologizing for America and murdered and missing indigenous women. Never, ever, 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 ever get an article or a shout out or a headline. I've been thinking a lot about the fuel sources that produce the heat of the fire that burns inside you and the term resistive circuit and active networks and mainly about Kirchhoff's current law, that the sum of all currents entering a node is equal to the sum of all currents leaving the node, by which I mean, imagine you are a circuit. Imagine electricity. Imagine being fed and feeding. Imagine getting what you need. Imagine the fire inside you. Imagine heat. I don't have much of anything figured out, but I do know to be indigenous is not to be a miracle of circumstance, but to be the golden light of survival. The wit of the cunning of the cloud of ancestors above me now, a cloud of light from which something almost umbilical is plugged into my back through which they feed me and flow out of my hands and bear with me, it's like this. My dad grows his hair long, the black waves cascade down his back because knives cropped the ceremony of his mother's generation in the Indian boarding school. And while I cut my hair short in mourning for the old life, I grow my poems long, a dark reminder on white pages, a new ceremony. Poems light up corridors of the mind, like food. They call where we grew up a food desert, A speck of dust on the map of the United States in a valley surrounded by mountains that slice through the clouds like a loaf, where the average age of death is 40.7 years old. I'm 37. I live in the busiest city in America. I'm about to eat an orange. Every feed owes itself to death. Poetry is feed. the fire inside me and what is trauma but a kind of rewiring as in I'm nervous where I feel most free but then the show comes back on and they're talking about what else we pass on after death and you know what too much for me so I shut it off I crack my neck the air is clear and all across Instagram peeps are posting pics of the sunset thank you
2: Once again, once again, that was fantastic. Oh, man, this is, I told y'all, this show is, we're going to have a good time. We're having a great time. Um, cool. So our next performer uh, is Destiny Harris. I'm very excited, very excited for this performer, a Black queer <laughs> abolitionist and organizer from the West Side of Chicago. Shout out to the West <laughs> Um, living at, at Howard University, right? So so sort of in between D.C. and Chicago right now. But she's organized in a lot of really important and powerful campaigns in my home city, uh, like Defund CPD, Cops Out CPS, and of course, No Cop Academy. Um, and I'm very, very excited uh, to see. And also, sorry, a member of uh, Dissenters, Right. And so we're we're really excited to uh, see what Destiny has to bring for us. Uh, So please give all your love through your computer screens and cell phones and (laughs) strange technology using to experiences. Give all your love to Destiny Harris.
8: No. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Technical difficulties. Um, This piece is untitled. I wrote it about environmental racism and environmental injustice um, that happens in a lot of predominantly Black communities. Um, As a lot of folks know, the climate change, climate justice movement, is very whitewashed. And it's really crazy because The people who are affected most by these issues are Black and brown people, right? Um, Climate change exacerbates every systemic issue that Black people face. Climate change exacerbates that. And so I wrote this poem to talk about the ways in which white folks try and convince us that it isn't an issue that really affects us. And the way in which that movement is kind of co-opted. So this piece is untitled. Black body Murky Waters, the Kidneys, Flint, Michigan, Media Blackouts, Black Death. The importance of stories of Black resistance to climate change is a concept that gets no story time. Our gastric juices know not how to break down the concept of environmental racism perpetuated in our communities. Our immune system created antibodies that fight off any bullshit of an autoimmune disease that says that climate change is as big of a worry in our as Black folks the most is fake, It's GMO, It's indigestible. Had niggas asked me why work on climate justice when police are in our homes, in our schools and killing us on our streets. Capitalism has perpetrated our bodies. Microscoped our eyes to oppression only visible to the naked eye. Environmental racism has blurred itself into oblivion. And we are left to believe that this shit doesn't affect us. They say climate change is a white people's fight. And to that I ask, what color color is the skin of those still without clean water in Flint, Michigan? And to that, I ask, what color is the skin of those kids experiencing food apartheid back in Chicago, those kids whose trip to grocery store be scavenger hunt, be 20 minute ride just to find somewhere to buy food? And to that, I ask, what color is the skin of those living in PTSD every time sea levels rise? to those whose lives were ruined by the catastrophic waters of Katrina, a storm so pervasive in its damage is known in our communities on a first-name basis. So no, climate change ain't just a white people's fight. They gentrified it, because I resist against police brutality and illegal pipelines. I'm pissed about the injustices in Flint and Ferguson, because we deserve to feel safe in our environment, and the presence of police, these issues ain't isolated. I fight for every Black kid who falls victim to the school-to-prison pipeline because they miss too many days of schools due to asthma attacks caused by toxic waste. I fight for every Black kid with a history of cancer, for every kid in Flint who drunk water to satisfy their thirst and now has lead poisoning. I fight for every one of our communities placed strategically on wastelands and for the hundreds of Black and brown skinned Greta Thunbergs who struggles and valid enough for CNN coverage that's that first piece thank y'all for listening um and then I wrote this second piece about the way in which a lot of people are addicted to this work of abolition right and a lot of people are very addicted um but with that this shit is like very emotionally trying and exhausting. And so they also cope with the use of drugs. So that's what this piece is about.
2: And this piece is called The Revolution Will Not Be Sober. One second.
8: Mm. Here we are. The Revolution Will Not Be Sober. It will be drug-induced. We will be high off liberation. We will light spliffs as we strut towards socialism. We will drink victory vodkas and take abolition ass and taps. We will drink rum. We will riot, we will rejoice, and we will scream Rakia's name and rumba in the streets in the spirit of our Afro-Latin ancestors. We will make healing sessions out of our workshops, We will retitle them, hold space for processing through holistic medicine. We will watch Miriam Kaba webinars and smoke Mary Jane. We will study socialism under the sensation of shrooms. We will take acid trips and dive into Angela Davis. We will bring cognac to our discussions on capitalism and invite Dr. 1800 to our workshops on the 400 years of systemic oppression black people have faced in this country. We will call ourselves AA. Abolitionists Anonymous. We will not be ashamed. We will reclaim the ideology of addiction to this work, to abolition. We will not be ashamed. We will not allow ourselves to crumble alongside these systems. We will tell people that abolition is about dreaming, beyond, imagining, creating our own perception of the world we want to live in, allowing us to travel beyond the non-ordinary states of anti-capitalism, we will tell people that psychedelics are about dreaming, beyond, imagining, changing our perception of space and time, allowing us to travel, immerse into the non-ordinary states of consciousness Consciousness and unlike how white folk commodified the earth, took mother nature's fruit and waged war around its access, we will give back. We will use this fruit of the cycles of the mushroom, this fungus of the lysergic acid diethylamide, the leaves of this cannabis plant to aid in our understanding of why prisons are obsolete. We will use these fruits of Mother Earth to aid in our destructions of the very systems that harm her. We will battle addiction to this work We will call ourselves AA, abolitionists, anonymous, because the revolution will not be sober. It will be drug-induced. We will be high off liberation, and we need all addicts on deck. That's that piece, (laughs) y'all.
2: Love it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Destiny. Thank you. I really appreciated that. That was dope. This is again. I told y'all we're having a great time. All right. So next up, very excited uh, for this next uh, this next presenter, um, a doctoral fellow at in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Heidelberg. Uh, wow. Uh, a filmmaker, a poet, an intellectual, uh, and really like a great model for what it means to be a scholar activist, what it means to be someone engaged in the work of thought and in the work of movement uh, for people that's deeply rooted. Please give all your love, all your energy to Uzma Balak.
9: Hi, are you able to hear me all right? I'm so happy to be here. Thank you everyone for sharing your powerful work. It was really like uh, amazing. It resonated with me on so many different levels and uh, all this work connects to so many stories here in Kashmir. I'm going to read from two of my poems, like basically excerpts from two poems. The first excerpt is from a poem called uh, Recorded Rotten Stereo Sounds, A Rape Survival's uh, Testimonial. Basically, this is, um, um, you know, on twenty-third, uh, 24 February 1991, an Indian army unit systematically executed a mass rape in Kunan and Poshpur villages in Kashmir, and the later later the army uh, council called the testimonies of these rape survivors as uh, recorded rotten stereo st- uh, stereo uh sounds that play rape all over again so in this poem i'm trying to sort of unpack the violence in this sentence i mean come to terms or not with this uh sentence and i try to disrupt it and try to sort of uh, do different things with it but i'm going to read a short excerpt basically the concluding excerpt of this piece memory is home till home is only a memory If we don't listen to the cry of wound, will we forget and forget that we have forgotten? Can exile exist without home as its referent? Does loss slow down time? Is poetry still possible? Manifesto. I refuse to be the exotic figure of beauty in your colonist fantasy. I refuse to be the victim you want to pity. I refuse to be the wounded psyche, your pathological specimen. I refuse to be your salvage project, your empowerment industry. I refuse your will give you a voice which shall set you free declarations. I refuse your glib talk on peace. I refuse your self-help counseling lectures, your motivational talks. I refuse to be a fossil in your archive. I refuse to be your respondent your footnote. I refuse to satiate your colonial notion of hospitality. I refuse to entertain you. I refuse to narrate to you what loss feels like, how love bleeds and statistics don't. I refuse to tell you how we imagine our liberation. I refuse you entry into the territory of my memory, my only homeland. I refuse your scrutinizing the anatomy of my resilient self. I refuse you permeating into my memory imagination. I refuse your surveys. I refuse you permeating through my skin. I refuse decipherability to you. I shall remain forever indecipherable and your rotten stereo sounds will play. But what do Kashmiris want all over again? Prologue and coda, I do not protest. I reject you. So that was the first piece. The second piece uh, is Uh, called Alif Se Azadi, and I'm going to read an excerpt from that. It's a longer excerpt. How does one begin a fragmented, lingering story? I'm unborn. Mother's gaze pierces the dark skies as she stands at the window. I hear her heart's pulsation. Rain clouds gather, a funeral procession passes us. Ro rahi hai ye zameen, ro hai rain flecks her young face with eye in her womb and a song on her lips a longing is born how does one begin a fragmented lingering story i'm walking home from school a boy wants to walk home too but he's precious for many shoulders carry him women sing lullabies we are both showered by almonds and roses crushed roses stain the roads crimson later grandmother tells me he too was a rose arphal golab At night, when it rained, I imagined many more roses blossoming in the dark. How? How does one begin a fragmented, lingering story? Twenty years have passed. Samir, companion of night, passes by my window. There's no coffin. Mourners are whirling as if in a zikr. Samir Rah, the nine-year-old boy, beaten to death. Allegedly. Section 307, 147, 146, 149, 188. It's a long night. Having exhausted all its apparels, death stands bare now, like us we stare at each other unblinkingly listening to screams resonating from the unwritten pages of our histories recreating the poet's prescription salunchu we must bear in kersher persian urdu pahadi or a limitless howl a languageless metaphor how does one begin a fragmented lingering story perhaps from the fragment which refuses to erode perhaps from a banal declaration a scream a desire which keeps us alive how does one contest an abyssal longing drenched in blood and to Are they scared of our poems like our children? They who contest our songs like our existence, debating the origin. What will they do now? Will they seek a surgical intervention separating with scalpels the rhythms from our pulses, the verses from the coarseness of our throats, the chorus from our veins? Will they take our songs to forensic labs, conduct DNA tests? How will they collect the samples? How many subjects? Will they send sniffer dogs to my grandmother to detect if she still clutches freedom in her furrowed fists to see if her spinning still weaves dreams? Will they look for potential evidence, a pair of socks treasured for 22 years? a bullet-ridden ferron still wet from yesteryear's rain a grey flower refusing to wither will Ashraf's mulberry-stained palms make for strong evidence the calm on Irshad's face as he was lowered into the grave the emptiness of Tufel's room conversing with his mother's silence a fistful of grass a five-rupee coin lingering fragrance on a worn-out prayer rug stubborn ivy growing on the walls of graveyards bearing our screams rue turning ash mourning into celebration tears into laughter in the quiver of our throats, tremble of our knuckles, gusts in our hearts, graved girl sweat shining like a pearl on his brow, the dandelion flower Humara blew after burning her poems on her dead mother, flight of moths circling the hearth where Mughal Mas used to sing, raindrops lashing against the window, trembling on the windowsill where Sartaj's sister sang elegies, around the street corner where Hamid embracing his mother said, oh mother dear, how gently for my heart might explode will they know if our dead children whisper lullabies from heavens and lull their mothers to sleep, will they claim these lullabies as their integral part will they conduct a hundred probes, a thousand inquiries like they do each time they try to annihilate us, will our songs be tried in the courtrooms, sent to the gallows, will they interrogate our verses in their prime time highlights under their tricolored camera spotlights or will they reduce them to a few hasty footnotes, how, how does one contestant, an abyssal longing drenched in blood and sweat we know the pain of erasure we the poets of persistence we who outran our destiny we who cradle the ache of an unsung longing a lingering history we who bear the burden of outliving our children we who survived a genocide of colors a massacre of language we within whom we within whom flows a dark river of impossible love. We who enwomb within us evanescence. We who have tricked forgetting. We the wandering minstrels of hope. We the balladeers of dawn. We the elegists of night. We the bards of loss. We hear you. Do you? You may embrace our poems, sing our songs, but do not. Do not asphyxiate them like bodies in gas chambers of Auschwitz and Majdanek, like tear gas smoke choking our uteri. Do not disfigure our elegies like the pelleted faces and backs of our boys, like barrels showered into our wounds. Do not electrocute our beats like bodies in Papa 2 Hari Nivas. Do not torture them by strappado. Do not crush them under rollers. Do not waterboard them. Do not sear them in secret torture chambers. Do not violate our rhythms like vanguards of your peace violate our landscapes do not lay siege on them like our cities do not desecrate our poems like you desecrate our dead stand stand upright like alive. the first letter of Azadi sing fearlessly do not exorcise us out of our songs our songs are not just our protest songs these are our birth songs our death songs our wedding songs our funeral songs our lullabies our mourning our celebration our screams our silence our malady our panacea our unwritten in history, our militant memory otherwise. Otherwise, history will never forgive you. Neither will our roses. Our screams will haunt you, your children and their children. The smoke from our incinerated poems will choke you for a hundred years. Break your TV sets, burn your newspapers, read the writing on the wall, hear the voices on the streets. Will you still ask us Azadi ka matlab kya? As I recall the faces of dead, funerals of children, furrowed faces in wait as I invoke the ghosts, as I evoke the longing, as I write Azadi. Leaves shimmer in the distance against an unfamiliar sky. Rain brims my teacup. My toes converse with the wet blades of grass and clovers. In the garden, a child learns to walk. A butterfly rests on my knee. I have not known anything as intimate as this. No, I won't break down.
2: Man, wow, thank you so much. Wow, that was powerful. Those were really great. And I, you know, yeah, I'm like moved. I'm like verklempt. Uh, but I'm really just thinking about, like, particularly that first poem, just thinking about the power of refusal, like what it means for us to refuse to sort of be a part of um, of these sort of settler colonial projects and what it means to refuse to um, refuse yeah, that, that's, that I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that for, for years. So thank you so much. So, so much. Um, cool. So next up, we have uh, a representative from Stand with Kashmir, one of our uh, presenting organizations, one of our co-sponsoring organizations. Um, so please uh, give it up for new
0: Hey everyone can folks hear me okay all right um oh i'm, <laughs> I'm right there with you nate uh, i feel like since the beginning i've been like feeling so teary i don't know how folks are doing out there watching <laughs> um thank you all so so much for being here um like nate said i'm with stand with kashmir and so stand with kashmir is a diaspora driven independent transnational grassroots organization um, we stand in solidarity with the people of Kashmir in their fight to end a decades-long Indian occupation and for their right to self-determination and um, and next to me you can see that there's a lot of artwork Hopefully that's that, that's showing up right um, that's artwork um, done by Kashmiri artists um, and again you know all of, so much of what our mission is so much of what we do, is really about how can we highlight the voices of artists, of activists? How do we amplify these voices? Um, Because I think it was like Uzma said, like there's no such thing as people who are voiceless. Nobody is voiceless. Um, And so, you know, so often when you hear about what's happening in Kashmir, if you hear about it at all, you only hear about it in terms of maybe India, maybe Pakistan, you never hear from indigenous Kashmiri voices, you don't hear from Kashmiris themselves, and Kashmiris themselves are the ones um, who who are speaking about these issues. They have voice. Um, there are risks. There are very real fears, um, and they're living with that every single day. And so, you know, so again, this is all about you know amplifying Kashmiri voices. Um, another facet of what we do too is. You know, how do we make these connections between what's happening in Kashmir to what's happening to groups um, all around the world, you know, here in the United States? And that's why, you know, it's so beautiful in this event to see folks from so many different communities um, speaking out about struggles that are so familiar. Um, Destiny, when you were talking about the environment, um, you know, so that's, it's something that's so close right now to Kashmiris who, you know, not only is their land being dispossessed, um, but you know, the effects environmentally are so grave. You know, when we're talking about settler colonialism, I'm um, here within this own country, Tommy, thank you. Um, I mean, it's, it's all so powerful. Um, Jamila, I mean, really everybody's words have been so incredible. And so making these connections, whether it's um, against militarism, um, police brutality, you know, environmental degradation, all of these issues unite us. Um, and we're also united by, as you can see here, just how much power is in the room, um, how much power is within our communities, um, how much fight is within our communities, and how much joy is within um Follow us on um, social media, stay connected with some of the work that we're doing. Um, and, you know, we're always, always, always profiling incredible, incredible artists um, like Osman Amer. And so definitely please do stay in touch with us. Thank you all so much.
2: Cool, thank you. Thank you Nuf, that was great. Um, so now I think we're going to, um, we have a little bit of time for uh, q a and A for a little bit of question and answer. Um, so I think we're going to bring everyone up on the screen. I just want to make—I'm going to talk to our, uh, our folks on the back end to make sure that that has happened uh, before I sort of start pushing questions. All right, cool. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Um, so I guess I'll start. There's a number of uh, there's a number of questions, some for like uh, specific artists and some sort of for the whole group. But I'll start with a whole group one. Um, just how do you ground yourself? What what I guess poems, songs, if, if it's art, if it's if it's other things, but um what are what are some some things that you use to to just ground yourself in in this kind of work and in your lives more broadly? I can go. Um, thanks for that
3: question. I feel like for me, journaling um, has been a really powerful grounding practice and just um having some sort of time whether sometimes i can't journal but just some sort of time where i'm not engaging in the outside world when i first wake up um so that's been it for me
7: hey um one thing that i try to do or that i do actively to like try to ground myself is to to have community and to because I, I like I came from an Indian res, I came from a literal tribal society where I was like in five I was within five miles of anybody I was ever related to in my entire life. You know, so like we didn't really like like every Sunday was like like, you know, like a holiday. Um and anytime when I left I was eighteen and I always tried to keep a uh, network of people around me, even that network has the connotations of a kind of dirty word, but what I mean, is just like an interconnected network of people from all different like types of similar, but like have like a Venn diagram of, of um, similarities and just, and, and to, ha- to have those people, to hold those people close to check in with them um, has just been really important because, you know, everyone I think is walking around with so much pain and sometimes you don't know how to talk about it or what words to give it. And just like to have people hold people, share with people, et cetera.
2: Maybe, um I'll throw another question in the air um, what what for you all are the connections between these different movements right? so certainly we have you know art, we had artists and presenters from a range of backgrounds, but you know thinking about the movement for black lives in the u s and globally about indigenous sovereignty in the u s um certainly about um kashmir and and, and what's happening there like. You know, and, and many other things, right? But what do you what do you all see as the kind of, I guess, inherent or surprising connections between these things?
4: I think for me, it's um, it all goes back to hip hop music. You know, uh, I grew up listening to hip hop music a lot of it, and uh, I feel like it's uh, hip hop music uh, is protest music, and that's what um, Black people gave us, Black community gave us and uh, i feel like it's so impactful and so powerful uh, it's the best form of uh i feel like protesting against you know the powerful people and uh, in our case the occupiers uh whatever it is so uh for me it's uh, it, it was the music that uh, sort of made the connection uh for the for the entire thing and i and i got to understand i i read more i did my research about how uh police brutality is a uh, Uh, I can relate to that, you know, when it comes to U.S. uh, uh, and the Black community, how they are, like, suppressed. Uh, So, yeah, I feel like that's, for me, music. Um,
10: If I can speak to it, can y'all hear me? Um, I think a connection is that whether in Kashmir, whether in Flint, whether across the African diaspora, at the end of the the day, all of these fights are, all these struggles for liberation are to fight against the same systems of colonialism, imperialism, capitalism at the root, and so that's the apparent connection for me. Although there are different struggles and there are different fights, and of course people have experienced them differently, and what the struggle for liberation looks like in Kashmir isn't necessarily what it looks like in the space. But at the end of the day, they're all working to fight towards the same system. And like Nate was saying um, when he introduced me. Um, I've done work around abolition. I've done work around anti-militarism and anti-war efforts and also around environmental liberation. And like I said, all of those fights, they're different and they affect people different, right? And not everybody experiences them in the same way, but at the end of the day, they're fighting against these same systems.
3: Something else that I felt from listening to everyone today was just a, a resisting against the flattening and kind of dehumanizing of us as people. Like, um, I really was struck by the line in Tommy's poem around like, you know, we're not just a metaphor or just, you know, something to be compared to. Um, and Usma, when when you said something like, you know, this isn't just a protest song, it's like our lullaby or it's also our scream. And just like the the exact thing, something I think about a lot in my writing is how to be the most expansive uh, version of myself because so often that's also a violence that's that's being um, inflicted us on us by these systems. It's like flattening us and forcing us to kind of leave parts of ourselves at the door.
9: Yeah, I think I want to respond to also your previous question. Uh, it's so difficult to ground yourself when, you know, um, I mean, it's not a war that is over. This is a war that is constantly inscribing uh, itself on our bodies, on our landscapes. So it becomes very, very difficult, especially uh, in terms of the brutal violence that the state is sort of unleashing and the repetitiveness of that violence. And what does that do to you? What does that uh, do to your language? Uh, so it sort of also imposes this unspeakability and you're no more able to sort of, uh, you know, use language. It sort of disrupts language uh, as well. So I think uh, for me, it's become so important to sort of explore this vulnerability itself as a critical force in my writings and sort of use my writing space as a site of mourning and as a site of protest and also uh, as a site of, you know, where one can speak to different voids. So I think there's no grounding in in the real sense. That's just impossible, I guess, given the times uh, we are living in. And uh, about the second question, I think all the oppressive regimes of the world they have so much commonality, and that is why they are sort of joining hands. They are forging strong alliances. I mean, be it this global network of capitalism, the brutality of the corporations, colonialism, militarism, uh, you know, please. Uh, police brutality, and all these different kinds of uh, linkages. And especially, I mean, not only that, not only a direct military war, but also a war on our words, a war on our language, a war on our bodies, our landscapes, our spaces, our resources. Uh, so it becomes a sort of multifaceted war and, and a sort of narrative warfare. And that that's the reason why, why sort of the state kind of fears this togetherness of people. It kind of fears the solidarity that we are trying to forge. And but the good thing is, that despite all the efforts that the powerful states have sort of, uh, you know, you, I mean, despite all their efforts of sort of, um, uh, you know, disrupting these solidarities, the important thing is that uh, we are rejecting each of their efforts, you know. So it has come to nothing in that sense, and we uh, we are rejecting each atom, each each uh, you know each inch of it, and that is what the state is sort of fearful of. That is what these powerful regimes fear. So all their efforts, you know, all their PR machinery and everything, its that sort of reflects the power of the people, and it also reflects their anxiety. It also reflects their desperation. Uh, so first, they sort of render you voiceless, soundless. They impose a sort of soundlessness on you, and then they sort of try to give you a voice. Uh, they try to launch their salvage projects. So there are these very important linkages between all these oppressive regimes in the world, and that sort of makes our solidarity across all these different liberation moments not only beautiful, but also urgent. And the truth of the matter is that we all cannot breathe and, and we are being deprived of oxygen. It, it's systematic and we must try and do everything in our power to sort of deprive these oppressive regimes of their oxygen.
2: Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, I was I was also just in terms of this connection, right, I was thinking about, um, it's not lost on me, right, that the current nationalist leader, India, and the former nationalist leader of the United States, like, you know, went and had, uh, you know, they were they were like buddies. They were like having uh, rallies at each other, you know, in each other's countries. And so, um, even that, you know, even just down to that, like, it's, it's obvious how these things are so connected, right? Um, I want to actually transition. This is a question uh, for Uzma, but I think a, a number of the folks on the panel might have um, something useful to say about this. So curious about your approach to language um, and specifically how you sort of negotiate the relationship between uh, your mother tongue and English. And um, is this something you struggle with when you consider like a spectrum of your audience, consider who you want to reach to? And uh, ha- I guess, how do you determine your allegiance? Um, so I'll, I'll pose that to, to the whole group, because I think there's some a number of folks who might have interesting things to say.
9: Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, thank you for that question. So, there's an entire politics of language uh, that we sort of... Uh, that each of her work sort of foregrounds. As it is, I mean, although I speak uh, Kashmiri, like uh, in uh, at my house, at school we were almost fined if we spoke in Kashmiri. And it has sort of always been relegated to margins by the state. So it's also part of the state's uh, cultural hegemony, uh, you know, project. So while I can sort of speak in Kashmiri, I am uh, able to read it with difficulty and I cannot write in, uh, write in Kashmiri, which is a very curious thing. So, I mean... So it's that void that we constantly speak to and that sort of also reflects in our works. And that's why sometimes there are certain words which are just untranslatable. And then I end up sort of using those words in my poems. So it's a constant struggle. And I think uh, I would be very happy the day I'm able to sort of uh, write a poem in Kashmiri. Yeah,
7: Um, I kind of like I'm thinking about it in terms of the fact that Like in my grandmother's generation, there was a whole boarding school system set up to um, rob us of our indigenous language and to, um, punish people for speaking it and, and to so such a deep shame in the language that my, my, my grandmother never passed it on to my father who never passed it on to me. And so I know bits of these words and the reason and the, and the poem that I wrote like the, the term for hello chauke, means I see the fire that burns inside you that like that there is a caravan of meaning in a single word and so much of that is like the thing that like the, my frustration is that it is so close generationally like it's just it's like right on the other side of like the membrane of my parents is like that language. And it's like, I think of it as like a shadow from another room that I can like, but I can't see the object anymore. So it's like really frustrating. But the other frustrating thing is that like, I love language so much. And I used to play like little board games with my parents before I got on the school bus. And so like, I learned to love English. Like I, I, I like I write in English and I just, I love rhyme and I love the power of words. And so it is like, it's like some Stockholm shit where I'm like, oh my God, I love this. I didn't ask for this language, but then in order to like Seek empowerment through that. It's also that, like, well, I didn't ask for it, but it's mine now. So watch me wreck this shit.
4: (laughs) I feel like one thing that music has taught me is that there is no, like, it doesn't have a language. It has no language, it has no boundaries. And I've been performing in a lot of uh, cities in India, Uh, I've been touring and, you know, doing gigs and everything and uh, i feel like people people uh, when they get to know where you're from uh, the place that you're from uh, they want to they want to know about it uh, i so what i do is i uh, rap in kashmiri i rap in urdu i rap in hindi as well mixed language i mean, kashmiri has like faded away our language has faded away we don't know the pure kashmiri anymore so what I uh, just to keep the uh, essence alive uh I try to you know take up this responsibility and wrap in Kashmiri I, I feel like it's really important uh for us to do that because I I also I can I can like agree with uh Uzma and uh the point that she made about schools uh over here not letting us speak in Kashmiri and we we were kind of you know we we grew up we grew up in a society that was kind of... Uh, you know ashamed of uh, speaking in uh, kashmiri we were we, we've been brainwashed we were brainwashed uh, since we were kids that uh, you have to speak in hindi you have to speak in other languages and english it's mandatory for you uh, so uh, yeah uh, people have been asking me people who don't know kashmiri who are not from kashmir they've been asking me for translations and they want to get to know what the what the actual essence of what i what i'm trying to you know point out is uh, and my lyrics and everything so I feel like it's really impactful when you when you when you stay true to your roots and you speak uh the language that uh.
2: man wow all those answers kind of like again made me emotional I'm like I don't know if I if it's just the day or it's the event it's probably all that and I'm like I haven't get, I didn't get, get a lot of sleep but man I'm just like I'm I'm really just thinking I'm um, again turning those things around. Um, but maybe if I can just shift to another question, uh, maybe we'll do two more questions. Um, I guess this is in some ways kind of a practical question. Um, what does solidarity look like for you all on a daily basis, um, particularly as artists? And what, I guess, particularly as artists, what do you feel your role is in terms of? creating solidarity or just advancing that as a sort of notion right as a as a center um to some of what you're up to politically
0: um
10: i can speak to that um i'm not really sure how to answer this question right off thinking about it because i kind of like i think that for a lot of people their identity as an organizer and their identity as an artist is inseparable In some ways, and I think that just when you think about like movements historically, art has played a significant role in that. And so I think as artists, we kind of not only say to have a duty or obligation, but oftentimes we figure out our role in the movement through our art, right? There are graphic designers, there are singers, there's there's dancers, right? When we think of the most successful resistance movements in history, art has played a really large role in that, and so that's just something I wanted to say.
9: I think um, one of the most important things, are you able to hear me all right? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is to sort of uh, forge a solidarity, but at the same time, uh, not sort of, I mean, at the same time sort of try to retain the singularity of each movement and each context and not to try to basically sort of impose this homogenizing, like this uh, basically sort of Uh, you know, imposes homogeneity on all the struggles, but basically to sort of restore the singularity of each act and also to sort of uh, walk towards a certain healing, but not a colonial notion of healing where you sort of, you know, uh, hide the colonial wounds and move forward and where you sort of, um, uh, you know, you kind of... uh, 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 you co- kind of operate uh, operate uh, in a way that the state wants you to sort of, uh, you know, operate like by, uh, by, you know, through their temporality, like a sort of uh, status temporality, which wants you to sort of move forward and leave the past, so to speak. But to sort of go back, to uncover those colonial wounds and try to understand different kinds of violence, different layers of violence, and then uh, use vulnerability as a critical force and then sort of... Uh, Uh, walk towards healing so that has been an important thing I mean and also yeah with respect to solidarity it's it's sort of important for me not to sort of um, not to uh, lose that singularity of each voice of each act of violence.
2: I guess um, so maybe I'll just add a little bit and then ask a sort of last question uh, for everyone Um, and yeah so you know one thing I, I often think about in terms of solidarity or like the things necessary for solidarity. I think one of those things is like relationships, right? So certainly I've learned um, so much about, you know, various intersecting, but distinct struggles just from being in relationship with people. And I think having a sort of like deep humility, right? Um, You know, so like being open to being wrong and readjusting and like, you know, just like knowing that that is a part of what is, What's going to happen and ultimately, like, what's necessary, I think, to move forward. Um, and then for me, one of the things is like to be in a constant state of like trying to educate myself about things, right? So when I was asked to like be a part of this event, um, you know, I had like a couple of conversations with some of the organizers, um, you know, but also like tried to find some resources around, um, you know, Hindu nationalism and like what that has wrought in South Asia. Um, and just you know, trying to you know do what I can to educate myself about um, about this particular issue, right? Um, so for me, like that's one of those things. But I'll I, w- I want to shift just to our last question uh, before we get out of here. Um, why do you make art?
4: I fell in love with it at first, and then uh, I just got exposed to you know uh, a lot of things i got to know about uh, where i come from i sort of learned um, you know about this place i kind of rediscovered myself first and foremost i tried to you know explore where where this place was going and where i was going and uh, in, in that moment and i just uh, thought that uh, Whenever I try to write something, I thought that I, it could be really impactful, and uh, it should have some meaning to it. It should have a cause, you know. Uh, and coming from a place like this, uh, with with the kind of events that took place in my life and uh, and what all I experienced, I felt that I had to vent it all out. I had to like pen it down on a piece of paper, and I had to like. You know, this was uh, way after I got to know that I could write rhymes and I could, you know, make music. But uh, the the biggest step was to do something big with it, like do something impactful for for myself and for for the for the for the for the whole world. Uh, if that would have been possible, if that was possible in my life, and I thought that uh, uh, with this pen I could just. Let the whole world know where I come from and uh, uh, what being a Kashmiri is like and uh, what our struggle is, uh, what we go through, uh, how many tragedies have taken place in a place like this. And I just uh, took that responsibility. I can't do justice to it, but I felt that with with this art that I felt was so pure, uh, I was super close to it more than anything. Uh, and I'm still uh, I am. Uh, I feel that it uh, this is this is what I had to do, and this is what I was going to do with my life. Uh, that's why I make art. I, I feel like this is my existence. This is what I uh, believe in. And uh, I feel that it's really powerful. making art, and you know expressing yourself is super powerful nowadays. You know, a lot of people can't do that. Uh, we should exp- uh, we should uh, express, we should communicate, we should do a lot of other things, I believe.
3: Um, really quickly, I just wanted to touch back on the solidarity question before I answer the last question, but kind of going off what you're saying, Nate, about relationships being integral in that. I think a lot about the way that for me, growing up in Chicago, Chicago is one of the most segregated cities um, in the country and the way that I as what I observed, you know, that was mirrored in the schools that I went to, like everyone was kind of at their own table on at their own um, in their own place. And it seems kind of like almost the scarcity mentality of, you know, I'm just going to deal with what's relevant to me Um, and sort of through the relationships that I built after leaving Chicago and going to college and things like this is kind of just realizing how that, that huge lie of, you know, the idea that to, um, you know, learn about the ways that these systems affect people different from you. um, You know, that, that's actually such a wealth of knowledge. And um, I think that kind of in my, art, um, what, what I, what I resist is kind of that, that flattening that I was talking about before, just the idea that, um, I think about Zora Neale Hurston a lot and how she would say, you know, I feel most colored when I'm thrown against a white background, or I feel most colored when I'm, you know, around my people and we're all, you know, laughing at this thing, but then sometimes, I just feel Zora. I just feel myself. Um, and so I think like in my art, I'm trying to um, speak to you know my community, speak to those you know outside of it sometimes, but also kind of access just the me that I am, you know, w- without being in in opposition to some whiteness or some um, system.
7: I've always had this I think the, the my my chief curiosity for human beings and curiosity is like a more benign word than what i mean but i guess my chief curiosity in human beings is their ability to be cruel to each other without trying to understand each other and from a young age like i always had this fantasy that like i could just take somebody's hand and like give them the experience of somebody else you know so that they know um about the thing that they're talking about they know the people that they hate or something like that um and the people that they're in conflict with and that was just such a like and i still feel that way like i wish i could just like give somebody the experience of somebody else And i think that's the place from which i write that's the place from which like i think my instinct as a as a writer as an artist as a whatever like that's that's the place that it came from and that's the reason i think i started
9: Um, I think to me, I mean, I'm sort of um, incapable of telling a story and I see my world in uh, fragments. And for me, my work is uh, becomes a way of chronicling this fragmentariness. And I also see my work as, as a plea for time to stop. I mean, I always feel like, I mean, I always feel like, uh, you know, loss slows down time, but this world is characterized by this dangerous accelerated temporality where you're constantly have to move forward. So the, it kind of creates a rupture between the time that you feel and the time that is sort of imposed on you. So I like to uh, sort of explore my space of writing as, as you know, uh, as, as this point of crisis between these two temporalities. Uh, and also I feel, I mean, it's a complex question, but I also feel that, you know, uh, any kind of pain, it sort of destroys language, but uh, screams, grunts are, you know, these are all utterances of pain, but they're also sort of, uh, it's also a protest against a language caged in grammar. So for me, my work, even though, I mean, it's contradictory, even though it's sort of caged in grammar in a way, but it also becomes that scream in the face of this unspeakability that uh, repetitive violence imposes uh, on you. Uh, so yeah, and I obviously, I mean, I do not. It's very important for me to say that I do not sort of uh, create this binary between the struggle on streets and the po- and poetry. And I'm aware of the fact that art alone, poetry alone, cannot uh, change things, cannot bring revolutions. But at but as uh, Aja Mone says, uh, you know, there's no movement which. Uh, doesn't have poets, which doesn't have artists. Uh, so for me, it's also uh, very prob- problematic to sort of create this dichotomy between, so to speak, violent resistance and non-violent resistance, because it's how the states sort of dictate you, what, you know, dictate you uh, and kind of try to tell you what are the correct ways of re- resisting. You know, the onus of the correct way of resistance somehow falls on the occupied people, falls on the colonized people, which I feel is uh, deeply problematic.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, So again, I just want to acknowledge um, a few folks who helped put this together. Uh, Certainly, a shout out to the great poet and artist and my sibling Fatima Oscar, who helped uh, put this thing together, helped bring so many folks to the table. Um, Thank you to dissenters. Uh, Thank you to uh, Stand With Cashmere and of course, Haymarket Books. Um, for helping make this thing possible. And of course, thank you to all the artists and the presenters who participated today. Um, this was really, really powerful, really, really moving. Um, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you all. Thank
1: you. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.